0: Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is Roe reading chapter 51 of the Blood Magic series, Can't Have You Falling For Me Just Yet. May 28, 2009. The moon was still hanging on to the western horizon when Harry was pulled from a restless fit of dreams, fantasies, and images that spilled over from his unconscious mind to his half-awakeful state. The sheets were pulled, twisted, and clumped about his ankles. Pillows lay on the floor, and he had disrobed in his sleep down to his pants. Harry groaned into the soft sheets below him. He was sweating, and his skin was on fire. He rolled onto his back and kicked the tangle of sheets from his feet, laying his right hand across his stomach, fingertips just below his navel. Draped across the dark trail of hair that bisected his abdomen, feeling each deep breath concentrating on each slow though unsteady inhale his left came up to rub across his face pushing his hair away from his dampened forehead he was breathing heavily despite having been asleep and he was fighting to regain some composure it wasn't that the night was particularly warm in fact a cool breeze from the open window belied a rather cold summer evening The chirping of crickets was slow and languid, and mist hung about the rolling hills and valleys of forest that peppered the landscape around the little farmhouse. Somewhere in the distance, Little Dipper was hunting. No, it wasn't the heat that was stoking the gentle lick of flames and the fire he felt pooling within him. Harry had been fighting back the incessant smoldering all afternoon and well into the evening when he had finally fallen into that fitful sleep. It was Draco. Seeing him, God's touching him, it had taken all of his willpower to control himself. The whole of the trial, sitting behind him, watching him be nothing but powerful and confident and gloriously unashamed, watching him revel in the ardent support and nearly fanatical admiration of those he had always feared had turned on him. That gray suit and his gray eyes and the way he looked at Harry, God's the way he'd looked at him, Soft and beautiful and vulnerable, a moment that was for Harry and Harry alone. For to the rest of the world, Draco Malfoy was nothing but composure, control, and that dichotomy, that's what was making Harry burn so furiously hours later and deep into the night. He swallowed hard, pressing his hand against his abdomen, as if to stifle the waves of desire that kept making him feel so very unsteady with lust as if he were simply drowning in all the ways Draco had grabbed him and held him and refused to relinquish his hold, the way he had opened for him, and him alone, in public, in front of all the fears of the world and the weight of his past, Draco had looked to him. It had felt nearly impossible for Harry not to act, not to respond, not to give away how tethered to each other they were, how wrapped up in each other they were, how much Harry craved Draco's attentions, how much he wanted to lavish Draco with his own. How Draco's magic had painted Harry's very skin in tantalizing strips, had made Harry so hyper-aware of every careful tendril, every fire it ignited. Harry realized he was panting and fought to slow himself, to swallow back the undulating desire, and he took a slow and shuddering breath. Draco brought out something in him that felt reckless, hungry and animalistic, Primal and demanding, full of urges he had never felt before, never thought to feel even, urges that felt like he might collapse from the weight of them. Just the thought of the man made Harry swim in images of pulling off his robes and fancy suit beneath and licking his skin to taste him, dragging his teeth across the sharper parts. Of the feel of Harry's hands wrapped around his hips, pulling him closer, full of desperation. Of the thought of his cock, slick with his saliva, of the thought of how his cum might taste— Harry made a deep noise in his throat before he caught himself, shoving his knuckles into his mouth and biting down to keep the moan that would have followed from escaping. His right hand had slipped lower and was pressing now against his cock through his pants, which was painfully hard, precum having dampened the spot just above the swollen head. His hips were rocking up against his palm, his body begging for sensation, for the mercy of release. No, not now. The thoughts were broken and incomplete, vying for room in his mind. Not today. Today Today's not on the schedule. Harry pulled his hand from the swell of his cock and gripped the sheets beside him instead, his hips still canting, the loss of contact nearly painful. He bit down on his bottom lip, closing his eyes tightly against the absolute need he felt, gods he wanted to come. He did growl this time, a sound full of frustration. Today was not on the schedule, no. Today was not on the schedule, and giving in to this wasn't worth the self-doubt and the guilt that would come after. He could wait for tomorrow. He could wait for tomorrow even if, at this exact moment, he wanted nothing else. This was another exercise in self-control. Luna had given him such a stringent schedule because she knew it would be hard. She knew it would be unfair at times. The point was for Harry to show himself that he could resist, that sex wasn't going to be a place of fear and weakness and constantly questioning whether pleasure was part of sickness, was something he should be worrying over. She was making him do this now so he could build up to not feeling full of doubt. He made the decision that moment to get up out of bed and take a cold shower freezing, unbearable, the kind of cold that took your breath and made you wonder if you'd ever be warm again. He turned on the water, removed his pants, ignoring the tempting slide of fabric against his still leaking cock, and stepped in before he could find a logical reason not to be so cruel to himself. Several hours later, Harry was in a mood, His body had protested vehemently against the early morning shower and the rather punishing run he had taken. When he had showered a second time and finally gotten to sit down around the breakfast table with Ron, Hermione, and Rose just after eight, he sank into the wooden chair with an exhausted sigh. Hermione and Ron both eyed him suspiciously. Rose was throwing Cheerios on the floor, one by one, still singing the breakfast song. I'm okay, just working on something new, Harry said, giving them both a small smile. Hmm, best not to read the prophet then, I think. Hermione quickly folded up the newspaper that had been sitting behind the large jug of orange juice. Harry raised an eyebrow. Interest clearly piqued. No, it's fine. Let's see what the damage is. I thought I did well after all the questioning, and my sabotage of Romilda must have helped for the first bit. Harry reached across the table and took the paper from her, unfolding it to reveal a front page smudged with the condensation from the juice. Golden Boy Back in London After over a year since the disappearance of the Wizarding World's hero, Harry Potter was cited at the trial of Rodolphus Lestrange, held yesterday at the Ministry of Magic, Potter was there to give testimony as to his work in the DMLE as an auror on the Lestrange case and to give an impassioned plea for harsh sentencing. After the trial, Potter refused most questions about his whereabouts, but Romilda Vane of the Daily Prophet was able to gain an exclusive admission that he had been in the forest, which Potter had delivered with a sly wink, having been a longtime friend of Romilda since their Hogwarts days in the same house. What forest could he have meant? Was this a reference to the dark Albanian woodlands where he who must not be named once regained strength? Could Potter have been sent on secret work from the ministry to quell unrest and burgeoning nefarious underworld activity on the continent? Or was he there on a personal quest, seeking meaning and understanding about the figure who had hunted him for most of his young life? Justin Finch Fletchley, junior undersecretary to the Minister of Magic, let slip that he was shocked at Potter's appearance, having recalled a gaunt, harrowed, and rather unsteady visage just before Potter had disappeared last year, completely different from the healthy, confident, and rather fetching man who appeared in court yesterday, very dapper in a dark grey ensemble and austere black robes. Was Potter ill and taking time off to regain his health and not on ministry business at all? This would explain the dramatic and secretive way he had vanished, and why he had not returned to the DMLE and had since quit his post as one of Robard's top orers, but would not explain the very enigmatic clue of the forest. Efforts to uncover an establishment or health facility that went by the name of the forest were unsuccessful. Readers may recall that last year we ran a whole month of theories as to why, where, and how Potter had disappeared, Highlights included Potter's devastating breakup with Megan Rexford of the Wimborne Wasps being the cause of his flight from the public eye, as well as theories around his deteriorating mental health and a stint in St. Mungo's Janus Thickey Ward, neither of which were verifiable at the time, with Megan Rexford declining any comment at all, and the staff of St. Mungo's remaining characteristically uncooperative with the Prophet's request for commentary. Our most popular theory was that Potter was injured irreparably in the line of duty, perhaps being bitten by a werewolf and forced to take a leave of absence. At the end of the day, this writer remains thankful that Potter has reappeared at all, looking charmingly handsome and still without a ring on his finger. It seems there remains hope for us ladies out there. Harry snorted in amusement, rolling his eyes. Ramil Vane really was as vapid as ever the idea that she and other women in the wizarding world should remain hopeful for his affection was beyond laughable. Not only was he very much gay, but he remained more than a little obsessed with the same man who had captivated his attention for the last decade, one Draco Lucius Malfoy. The photo that accompanied the article was of him in the witness box, leaning back against the bench with one arm up over the backing. He looked relaxed and at ease, it was while he was trying to pretend he wasn't thinking about pulling Draco down onto his lap and kissing him senseless. Thinking of Draco, though trying to school his thoughts away from all the heretical fun he wanted to have with him, Harry flipped to the third page of the paper to find a little column on the trial, written by none other than Dennis Creevy. It was kind, supportive, and very fair, roundly condemning Lestrange and uplifting those who had spoken against him as well as those who had hissed their dissent from the spectator stands. It applauded the witnesses without throwing the details of their testimony on display for the masses to consume, respectful and poignant. The article ended with information for those who were still struggling after the war, signs and symptoms of PTSD, issues of addiction, what constitutes sexual violence, then where to get help, even how to help loved ones and the like. It was wonderfully done and brightened Harry's mood considerably. Dennis was a gem of a man, and how much he cared for others was evident on the page. He looked up from the paper to Ron, peeking over the most recent quibbler and Hermione's waiting gazes. Rose remained oblivious, now pointing her spoon at her mother and pretending to cast spells, babbling an attempt at the incantations. Harry gave them a small smile. Not half bad, I think. The other two seemed to let out held breaths, full of relief. It was sweet how much they cared, how much they had always cared, always trying to spare him the details, holding him like he was made of glass, ready to shatter. Hermione went back to her chia seed yogurt, and Ron sipped from his orange juice. It was nearly the same shade as his Chudley Cannon's apron, which was draped over the back of his usual chair. The cover of the quibbler featured articles on Harry's reduction in rack spurts and the calming effects of herbal teas. Harry reached for some porridge and then the milk, making himself a bowl, his stomach rumbling. Expelliarmus. He snatched the spoon Rose was waving about from her hand, blowing a raspberry on her cheek as he did it, causing her to erupt into a fit of giggles, her surrogate wand easily forgotten. June 2nd, 2009. Harry, what did you have in mind? Draco. Harry looked up at Little Dipper and raised an eyebrow. He thinks he's going to play hard to get with me after all of this. Little Dipper hooted and ruffled his feathers, clearly just as frustrated. Draco, five days you've had to write me and that's all I get? I'm not giving anything away. Say you'll come with me. Say yes and meet me at the ruined arch in South London at half twelve on Friday. "'There's an apparition point just west of the main archway. "'I promise I won't disappoint. "'In fact, don't even write back. "'I know you'll be there. "'You're just trying to steep me "'in the same nervous anticipation I know you're feeling. "'Oh, but Draco, you must know by now that won't work on me. "'I'm as sure about you as I ever was, "'just as I'm sure you won't be able to resist seeing me. "'Don't run. "'See you then, Harry. "'P.S. "'Wear something comfortable.'" Harry smirked to himself as he folded up the parchment. He knew his arrogance would have Draco rolling his eyes, but he didn't mind. Draco needed to know he wasn't tentative. And, besides, it was all true. He wasn't tentative. He had done nothing but think of all the ways he could charm Draco, could shock and surprise and delight him into being impressed with him. At the end of the day, however, what Draco really wanted was that sense of peace and security and safety, He didn't need anything flashy or over-the-top. No, the way to win Draco over was by showing him Harry understood him, understood everything beneath the facade. He sent the little scrap of parchment on with Little Dipper, who seemed just as pleased with himself as Harry was, hopping to the windowsill and swooping out of sight. Harry leaned back in his chair, still smiling to himself. June 5th. 2009. Rose, it's you and me in the kitchen today. You're in charge of making sure I don't mess this up. A certain someone is very picky and terribly discerning, and Godric, I want to impress him. Harry had gotten up with the sun, run a full 10 kilometers around the farms of the area, showered, and rushed Hermione and Ron out the door to work. And now, now he was preparing lunch, picnic lunch. Why couldn't he just be a normal person and invite someone to a restaurant for a date? why did he have to plan this grand romantic thing that had 15 million different potential reasons to go terribly? Harry tasted the gobi that lay simmering on the stove. Perfect. He had checked the weather obsessively over London the past few days. No chance of rain, light breeze, just a few perfectly plush and whimsical clouds. Harry thought he might be solely responsible for the glorious June weather, with all the concentrating he had done on making sure it didn't rain. He stirred a pot of doll absentmindedly, watching Rose nibble on a potato. I'm an idiot, Rose. I fell for someone with impeccable taste. Is this what it's going to be like forever? Harry grinned at her. He wasn't really stressed, or worried, or upset that he had gone and bent himself backwards to impress Draco. He liked it. He liked that he knew he could do it. He had planned the perfect day. By 11... Harry had packed away a slew of dishes into a neat little basket, full of naan and saffron rice and Neville's bottle of lemon and jasmine cordial. He shrunk the basket down and handed it off to Little Dipper. You know when and where, you little monster. Don't you mess this up. I'm counting on you. We can't have a lunch date without lunch. Dipper hooted and danced about the kitchen window, hopping from one foot to the other, his ear tufts waggling hilariously. Harry grinned at him. The little bird had never let him down, and he seemed nearly as excited as he was himself. The kitchen was an absolute disaster. Flour was spilled across one countertop, pans and burnt remnants of previously attempted dishes were piled high in the sink, curry was smeared along the bottom cabinets where it had unceremoniously splattered as Harry ladled it into serving dishes, frantically. It was astounding, but it smelled delicious and fresh, and the final result was beautifully made and lovely food. Harry was very well pleased with himself. He wasn't pleased, however, to hear the kitchen door open and to see Ron's freckled face duck in, a look of interest instantly turning to bereft incredulity at the state of his beloved kitchen. He had obviously come home for lunch and to check on Rose. "'Blimey, Harry, what have you done with the place?' He was looking around, his mouth open. Rose was not helping, bouncing in her chair and yelling potato over and over again. Ron, forgive me, but I have a date. I have a date, and I'm making the food, and if I don't leave now, I'll be late, and that'll be an absolute disaster, so hold the questions for tonight. I've got to get dressed. Harry dashed up the stairs to the spare bedroom, yelling behind him, "'Can you take Rosie over to the borough for me? "'Your mum's in on the plan. "'I just wasn't expecting to be so far behind already "'or I'd have taken her myself.' "'He could hear Ron asking Rose what in the world was going on "'as he shut the door and grabbed a clean pair of black jeans, "'his trainers and a passable but plain dark green shirt. "'He ran his fingers through his hair a few times, "'knowing it wouldn't be doing much good in any case, "'and rubbed some flour off of his own cheek.' Okay, Draco, here we go. This is what you get, he said to his own reflection in the mirror. Harry dashed back out the door just after 12 and up the lane to the apparition point, twisting into the crushing darkness at a run, Little Dipper having already flown off in the direction of London. He appeared just off to the side behind one of the many old arches, dusting himself off and moving aside the leaves of a rather spindly elm. Harry hadn't been in Muggle London for quite some time, and certainly not in such dense crowds as the summer at Kew Gardens would draw. He could hear families with raucous children, foreign languages, and laughing. He steadied himself and focused his magic. Great rippling waves, slow and rolling, moved from his hands, a spell he had learned back in the forest of Dean, but one that would serve him just as well today. "'Rapello Muggleton,' he whispered softly, "'walking out into the crowd, which had now thinned significantly. "'People were turning around and ambling off, "'remembering important issues "'or the idea that they had perhaps parked illegally. "'Some felt compelled to visit the London Eye "'or the National Archive in place of the sprawling lawns "'and bursting gardens of Kew.' "'Harry smiled, focused and intent on the fact that today,' June 5th, he and Draco would be alone in this sprawling expanse of green, beds bursting with just blooming buds, placid rock pools, and steamy greenhouses. This was his gift to Draco a world of living, breathing, artful wonders, carefully kept and flourishing under the guidance of those who lived to watch the world come alive. He walked ahead a ways, ensuring the borders of the gardens were thick with his repelling charms hustling the last of the small children just now learning how to run and senior citizens leaning on canes and pushing walkers in front of them he pulled them back from the gigantic annual water lilies grown from seed each year and the graceful wisteria vines that delivered long clusters of bright purple flowers year after years for centuries now and sent them on their way returning to the archway harry took a deep breath letting the quiet settle now punctuated only by birdsong and the rustling of the breeze in the grasses and trees. The pop of apparition made him nervous for the first time that day. Butterflies swarmed in his stomach and he couldn't help the smile that spread across his face. Draco stumbled out of the overgrown arch to the west and Harry couldn't help but laugh. His voice punctuated the still and quiet world of the garden. Careful, can't have you falling for me just yet. I've got a whole thing planned, Harry called to him, walking up the now empty stone-lined avenue toward him. Draco dusted himself off, huffing, obviously startled and overwhelmed. He had taken Harry's advice to dress comfortably and donned chinos, for Salazar's sake. He looked sharp and attractive, as always, but Harry was more taken with the blush that had crept up his cheeks and threatened to cover his neck. Harry held out his hand come on then, I've got so much to show you. Draco reached out and took it, though it almost seemed like he wanted to refuse. Where is this? Where are we? he said after a moment's silence, gazing around at the tree-lined expanse, otherwise empty save for themselves. This is Kew Gardens. It's a muggle garden, tended by the city of London. People come here to view plants from all over the world and connect with nature, to get away from the big city life. Harry was smiling, gesticulating with his hand that wasn't interlaced with Draco's. The other man's palm was a bit sweaty, and Harry could feel how nervous his magic was. But he wasn't put off by it. Draco was Draco, nerves and sweat and all. And Harry just launched into a speech about the history of the garden, the size, the number of plants, how muggles had come up with new and inventive ways to create greenhouses to keep their specimens alive. He had done his research for this he'd read up. Draco let him prattle on as they walked, his magic slowly growing against Harry's, finding its foothold, unfurling. Draco seemed mesmerized by the beds full of blooming specimens, bees happily buzzing between yellow and purple and violet petals, hydrangeas and hyacinths coating themselves in pollen before flying off again. Harry paused in his explanations to watch Draco take it all in, They'd come to the end of their avenue, and directly ahead lay a greenhouse—well, several greenhouses, all connected, pulled together by large arches of steel and coated in hundreds of panes of glass. "'Can we go in?' asked Draco, tentative but clearly overcome with curiosity. "'Of course,' Harry was grinning, bolstered by Draco's interest. He had been quiet, unsure, but Harry could see his love of the garden starting to bubble up beneath the doubt—' and the intimidation that was their first proper date in the real world. Harry squeezed his hand softly and led him up the stairs and through the glass doors into the world beneath the glass. It was humid, and the air was thick with moisture, giant palms and strelitzias towering above and draping their leaves across the paths that wound between the beds. Muggles started bringing plants back here from all over the world to study them, particularly in medicine, Harry said softly, into the new quiet of the hothouse. Draco let go of Harry's hand for the first time that morning, dragging his fingers across mossy rocks and the thick leaves of tropical water dwellers that lined a large pond to the left. He watched as Draco closed his eyes, breathing deeply and slowly, jacaranda petals slowly falling about him, their purple petals littering the floor and the surface of the pond. You didn't need me to tell you my weaknesses. You knew them already. That's why you've brought me here. It's true, Harry said softly back. I do know you, Draco Malfoy. Doesn't mean I don't want to know more. Draco smirked and huffed a laugh, turning back to marvel at the yellow pincushion in full bloom, stretching out across the path in front of him. Harry followed along behind him in silence, watching him move from bed to bed, marveling at ancient cycads and stopping to sniff at kiwi flowers, the vine decadently wound around the wrought iron railing. His heart was beating hard in his chest at the smile that curled the corners of his mouth when he came across a bank of flowering clavia. I quit St. Mungo's. Draco's voice was unnaturally loud in the thick hush of the greenhouse. I think I'm going to devote myself to research full-time. The Department of Mysteries has been making a lot of offers, promises of support, materials, guidance, anything I want. Harry watched him walk slowly around the end of the path, sitting himself on a bench just below a golden lotus banana. He crossed his legs, the chinos tailored to the perfect length that just a strip of ankle was now visible beneath the stylishly folded cuff. It seemed as though this career change was something he wanted to discuss, something weighing on him, so he let the silence hang, Waiting to see what else would come. I don't want to stop helping patients. Healing is a calling, one I've always been at peace with. I just couldn't deal with the people assuming I was there just to clear my name, just to prove something about my past. The admission came as Harry sat himself down on the bench next to him, and Harry nodded to himself. Draco didn't want to stop caring. And I'd like to keep making potions. I'm the only person in recorded history who's gotten Thestrals to agree to work with me, so I feel like I can't not do this work. Mm, Harry hummed his agreement. Can you do both? What about working at your own practice where you can brew potions on days you're not seeing your own patients? The D.O.M. could let you hold your research from there, couldn't they? Draco looked momentarily shocked, rolling the idea around in his head before answering. I never thought about that, actually. Hematology is quite a specialty, but it wouldn't be unheard of if I worked outside of the hospital. I would have a lot more autonomy, at least, and I'd be able to monitor my own patients that I'm treating for the DOM. I had never thought about it because before there was a time I didn't think any patients would come to a practice run by Draco Malfoy. Harry nodded again, understanding the stigma that still lay heavy in the wizarding world. They would come around, though. Draco had put in the work. He had earned their trust. And you? Draco had turned his eyes to Harry expectantly. What are you planning in your life? Harry paused a moment, sighing deeply. To be honest, I told myself I'd work on recovery this year and do the career thing next year. Eventually, I want to teach and be around young people who need the kind of help I needed and be that person who can help guide them. For now, it's just meetings and therapy, so much therapy, and helping Ron and Hermione out at, at home with Rose. He quirked a smile at Draco. It's hard work, therapy. You were right. I thought maybe you were just being a bit dramatic. I was not being dramatic. Therapy is like being skinned alive and rolled in salt, he deadpanned. Well, I don't know if it's that horrible. Harry was smiling, goading him. Oh, how's that orgasm schedule working out for you then? Draco bit back. All right, enough. It's torture. You were right. You were right about everything. Harry knew he never should have mentioned that, shaking his head with a soft, a bit embarrassed laugh. Are you hungry? I've got more to show you. Draco raised an eyebrow. More? More, Harry repeated, standing up and offering Draco his hand, pulling him to his feet and leading him back out into the comparatively brisk summer day. He led them both down a flight of steps and off into a shady copse of trees, in one of which sat Little Dipper. He hooted frantically and swooped over to land on Harry's shoulder, nibbling at his ear, obviously ecstatic he'd done his delivery properly, and all was not lost. Harry struggled a moment to untangle the parcel from his leg, returning the basket and all of its contents to their proper size, sweet smells of cumin, cinnamon, and coriander filling the air. Did you make me lunch, Potter? Draco was smirking, looking wildly impressed. Are we back to Potter now? Call me Harry, Draco, and yes, I've made us lunch. Okay, Harry. Harry turned and smiled at him, pulling out a blanket, spreading it out beneath a tree, and patting the spot beside him. Are these gardens always so empty? Don't muggles spend time here? Draco asked, seating himself primly next to Harry who had started unpacking the basket, laying out ever more colorful and delectable-smelling dishes. "'I'm repelling them.' Harry scooped himself a pile of malai kofta onto his naan, adding a heaping of the saffron rice. "'All of them? This whole time?' Drago had paused midway between helping himself to the gobi. "'That was an extreme amount of magic, even for Harry. "'London was not a small city. "'This was not a small garden. "'Yep.' Draco was quiet a moment while he tore pieces of naan and arranged them on his plate. I have to say, I'm feeling distinctly wooed. That's the idea. Harry had just taken his first bite of the food, and he closed his eyes happily. It was delicious. Perfect. I don't think I can top... Draco was interrupted by Harry actually choking to death on his food, his eyes wide, staring at Draco. This date, you prat! I meant I wouldn't be able to come up with something as romantic! He gawked at Harry, who was turning a deep shade of red. Oh, for fuck's sake, he chastised, slapping Harry hard on the back as he coughed up rice. You are 100% trying to kill me, Harry spluttered, roaring with laughter. First that damn book, now this. Draco, I was just trying to take you to lunch. Merlin, help me. Draco was trying hard not to laugh. You are unbelievable. Hey, you're the one keen to discuss who's topping on the first date. I just wanted some food and nice scenery, maybe some privacy. I would have settled for a kiss at the end. Draco was bright pink now, but he had finally succumbed to a bout of very undignified giggling. Are you going to tell me why your therapist put you on an orgasm schedule? I've been dying to ask, but I didn't want to pry. Harry groaned, setting his plate down and looking over at Draco, resting his head in his hand. He wasn't really keen to talk about this. This was not where he imagined the date going. But he supposed this was Draco, and honesty was always the thread that ran between them. It's part of my recovery, like a test, to make sure I still feel in control of parts of me, particularly the parts that like pleasure. He sighed heavily, shrugging. I don't think it'll be for long, just for now, while I was working on some things. He looked away and out across the expanses of lawn, dotted with trees— in the distance, he spotted his Thestral rolling in a singular dusty patch beneath an old elm. I'm doing it, but it's making me a bit mental. It's certainly made me a little more intimidated by my modest efforts to court you. I keep thinking I'm going too fast or not fast enough, or wondering if you're expecting me to be someone I can't be. He was thinking back to the night in the forest, the last time they had been together, alone. He could feel the sadness creeping into his voice, the way his magic pulled at him, a sense of longing. Harry, I know you too. I know what mistakes I've made with you. I'm not here because I expect you to be someone you're not. I'm here to start again. Because what we had was important. It was real. You were right. We weren't ready. Not yet. Not then. Harry was watching him while he spoke, watching the way he committed to each word. "'the way he emphasized important. "'His magic had crossed the gap between them, "'and Harry felt the gentle lapping warmth against his skin, "'the honesty there, the truth. "'I think I'm ready. "'Not for everything, just maybe for something,' "'Harry said, looking up into Draco's gray eyes. "'His blonde hair was a mess from the humidity in the greenhouse. "'His shirt rumpled. "'He was beautifully disastrous.' his posh exterior nothing but a memory of the man in front of him. Harry wanted to unravel him, to see him come apart in his hands. Tell me what you're ready for, Draco said, meeting his gaze. His face was flushed. Their food lay forgotten. Harry's Thestral was loping across the far lawn to greet volemi who had appeared in a thick bed of lavender, dust trailing out behind him. And Harry was smiling in his mischievous way, his eyes bright and eager. I want to kiss you, Draco. I want to kiss you properly, like you're meant to be kissed, like I've been dying to kiss you for months now, maybe even years. Show me. And Harry closed the gap between them, the smile still broad on his face, pausing just before their lips met Draco. And Harry kissed him, his name still hanging in the air between them. Well, I feel like it's your turn to do that. What? <laughs> I don't know, I just struggled so much reading that. I, I can't be insightful.
1: That's fine. We don't need to be insightful. I can just talk about how much I love their date. Okay, go ahead. Because <laughs> I love it and it's wonderful. And it's super romantic. And he makes him
0: lunch. Yeah.
1: And he repels all of the muggles and cute girls. <laughs> like a ridiculous amount powerful of yeah, and Draco 's just there sweating like yeah that 's hot <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he is mm. yeah. I love in the beginning um, like both before he 's like torturing himself with a cold shower and going for a run when he's having um, when he 's thinking about Draco mm-hmm. and talking about um, how he feels about him and all of the attraction that he feels i don 't think he once described a physical trait about draco no an entire description and i love it so
0: much (laughs) yeah i didn't even think of that but i Mm -hmm. think that's very
1: much how they how they are Mm. um like there's so much more to each other than like their physical attraction
0: no definitely and i mean obviously like it's sort of the fandom has has mostly written them as, like extremely attractive yeah. and they are yeah. i mean they are but i i think that's sort of secondary to the story we wrote yeah definitely it's very much about who they are yeah absolutely and how fascinating and and enrapturing that mm. is to them each yeah. of them
1: i totally agree and i really enjoy that a lot cuz i feel like um Yeah, it's just one of those things. I know from, like, my personal, like, experiences and stuff like that, like, people get so caught up with, like, how things look Mm -hmm. a certain way. Mm -hmm. And, like, for myself, that's almost, like, never been a consideration in attraction.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think... I could probably say the same. Like, not not attraction, but, like, love. Mm. I think there's such a decided difference between just passing and looking at something and thinking, like, oh, that's aesthetically pleasing Mm-mm. versus, like, this, you know, you keep me up at night mm. thinking yeah. about you. You know, like, yeah. that, that's a kind of feeling that isn't necessarily the same. And yeah. obviously, attraction plays a part in it, Mm-mm. but it's so much more.
1: Yeah. And how attraction can be, like, hugely amplified by... Um... Somebody's, like, personality. Oh, yeah, Yeah. definitely, definitely. Or detracted. (laughs) Yeah, or, yeah, Yeah. oh, my God,
0: how many times have you seen someone who's, like, they're moderately attractive-looking, I guess, and then words come out out, of their mouths, and you're like, cool, never speak again, bye. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You are a toad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I couldn't be more disgusted if I tried. Yeah, (laughs) exactly,
1: yeah. No, I really love
0: that. Mm. Um, I hadn't really thought about that at all, because mm. I just sort of wrote, like, you know, if you're thinking about someone you mm. really are attracted to and, like, want to be with, what would you think about them? Yeah. I just... Yeah, same.
1: I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I feel like that's not something that's, like, well explored in a lot of um, spaces.
0: Mm. Maybe, Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I honestly haven't really thought about it very much, and mm. which is weird for me because I think about everything too much. So. <laughs> think about everything. This is just one of those same. things.
1: <laughs> well, so, it's okay. Wherever you like miss, I'll just overthink it for you. Oh, perfect.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. Like perfectly marrying each side of this. Excellent. Yeah.
1: Sit so together. We're one overcritical adult.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Kind of. <laughs> With a lot of existential dread. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um. And. He is sticking to his orgasm schedule. Yeah. So he's, um, like, really putting himself through it and, like, even acknowledging, like, it's going to be unfair sometimes, but, like, that challenge is what makes it mm-hmm. so effective.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sort of same old, same old, just, like, a snapshot of him dealing with mm. the whole concept. Yeah. And the whole concept of, like, like self-moderating, I guess. Yeah. Um and the acknowledgement that, like, he has that there will be another day yeah. to enjoy this. Yeah. Like, a, a brief moment of not enjoying something, has, like, will pay off later. Yeah. Even if it seems, like, totally weird and illogical. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah. No, that's... <clears throat> that's, like, good stuff. Yeah.
1: Um, and then their date is very sweet. And um, I love that draco acknowledges like damn you do know my secrets you're gonna get me with plants
0: (laughs) yeah that was also about you
1: (laughs) that's how you win me over indian food and plants i I am a simple creature yeah
0: Um, well maybe um i kind of like the comparison of like externally seems incredibly complex mm -mm. and You know, even this idea that it's overwhelming for people to try and date or woo or whatever someone who has the kind of baggage like this Draco has and the kind of history and he seems like a very complicated person Mm. with a lot of needs and actually it's just safety and... Kindness. That's great. I mean, <laughs> even the
1: fact that Draco like ignores his letter, like uh-huh, like yeah. to come on the date because he's just like sweating about the idea yeah. of actually seeing him again, and yeah. And Harry's um, like,
0: no, 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 don't even reply. I don't yeah. need your reply. Yeah, exactly. I you'll I'm, be there. You'll be there.
1: <laughs> Can't resist this. Draco's like, God damn it, he's right.
0: <laughs> he's right, and I don't have to reply. Um, <laughs> he gets me on such a deep level. Yeah, no, this whole part was just about you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah i'll see you there <laughs> i'll bring the food that's all i need yeah. um yeah no it's great i love it um and like i love when ron comes in and is like what the fuck
0: yeah <laughs> poor ron yeah and i love the idea
1: that like harry's got it sorted with miss weasley like. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> molly knows yeah right she's just watching rosie for me <laughs> And the idea that I just sort of like wanted to pepper in that like he's just been reinfolded into yeah. the whole Weasley thing. Yeah, with like no problems.
1: No, no, yeah, no, no exactly. No, just like I feel loves. like Molly would like not question him at all. Just be like, God, okay, you're back, good. Yeah. <laughs> you need a sweater <laughs> yeah, you need feeding. Exactly. <laughs> Even though
0: he looks so much better yeah, than he did yeah, exactly. like still needs feeding. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, I love that so much. Mm. It's really great. Yeah. And then we get, like, the snapshot that Draco, you know, is talking about how he quit work. And he's thinking about working with the DOM full-time. Yep. And then Harry gives him the idea, like, why can't you do both? Mm -hmm. Why can't you also research and just have your own
0: practice? Yeah, I I sort of didn't intentionally Mm -hmm. do this thing where, like, Harry is sort of... It's almost like he problem-solves for him, but the way he problem-solves for him... It's just by, like, looking at him and going, you are capable of everything you want to do. Yeah. You don't need anyone else yeah. structuring your life for you or mm-hmm. structuring your career. You can do it on your own.
1: Yeah. Um, and Which, then, ironically, is exactly what you've been telling me for, like, seven years. <laughs>
0: I know. just like this chapter really came really organically. Yeah,
1: because it's, it's just our relationship.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I didn't think much about this at all. Mm-hmm. It was just like you do you buddy yeah exactly and also like creating the space for Draco to have a conversation like yeah. that and and
1: instead I, of like flailing internally about everything
0: yeah but even with his friends like he's i think he feels quite overwhelmed by mm-hmm. like you know just discussing everything and with Harry Harry okay. the whole point of this date is like like i said safety privacy mm. like the sense of like calm serenity mm-hmm. and just like a place for Draco, yeah. that's like curated for him, yeah. and and, <laughs> so and then nice. yeah, that's where he can ask and yeah. talk about these sorts of things that have been weighing on him, obviously, yeah. and he he's worried about, um, and Harry just sort of like provides that, yeah, um, you know, and he deal. doesn't even ask; mm. he just waits for Draco to say yeah. things. Yeah, and I, rereading it now, like I again, I wrote it without thinking, like I wrote it, just like how I would, yeah, yeah. Have, <laughs> be on a date, I guess. <laughs> um except for the end or no it's at the beginning of your next chapter no, it's the
1: beginning of my next chapter oh, okay. Which wrote, we'll talk about <laughs> when guess, we when I read it yeah, yeah. we had to rewrite that many times.
0: <laughs> well so anyway I just wrote it the way that I would yeah you know whatever and reading it now I realized how much I wrote about Harry just watching him yeah and just waiting for him and yeah. like all of his focus is on him and he's yeah. he's in this amazing beautiful place yeah. right But he's not looking at anything else, and he's not engaging in anything else. His entire, like, his whole everything is just about curating something for Draco, and, like, watching him experience it, Mm -hmm. and, like, watching his enjoyment of it. Yeah. And I really, like, that's That's me to a T. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's that shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, what a good... Way to model an excellent date. <laughs> that's how you fucking do it.
0: Yeah, and but it still <clears throat> feels very equal, mm. and I think also that's why they end up kissing. Mm. It's sort of like how we built this space that made it possible for them to move from horrible, embarrassing, mm-hmm. flailing mm-hmm. into something not yeah <laughs> yeah exactly into something like normal and healthy and yeah. like they both are on equal footing and yeah. both feel capable of moving forward yeah um it's great is by building this yeah. safety and mm-hmm. you know respect yeah. and you know mutual understanding th- yeah
1: and their thestrals are there
0: mm-hmm. just chilling in the background oh it's so precious <laughs> <laughs> the harry special just like rolling in yeah. the dirt like yeah <laughs> the outside <laughs> exactly <laughs>
1: Okay, whenever I talk about the Thestral, my dog just shows up like, hi. Oh, yeah, she's <laughs> hi, it's me. under the table yeah. right now. <laughs> I am also a Thestral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, so then they have their first kiss. Yeah. And then it ends. Mm-hmm. That little cliffhanger, you and your fucking cliffhangers. <laughs>
0: that is torturous. Trademark me. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, tension, tension, power. I will ratchet up the tension, and then I will give it to you yeah. to deal with.
1: Mm -hmm. And then here I am frantically trying to, like, compartmentalize (laughs) it and fix it. But it doesn't need fixing. I know. But that's just my personality. I know. Yeah. Well, I think it's
0: more about anxiety than personality. Okay. Okay.
1: (laughs) That is my personality.
0: We're uncovering a lot. No, definitely. Yeah. I think that is something I do in response to you. Mm Mm-hmm. But also I do it. Yeah, no,
1: you just, I think you just enjoy it. Like 97% sadist. You did not have to tell the whole world listening
0: to this podcast. (laughs) Like the the, the four people (laughs)
1: listening? (laughs) I mean, I desperately love those four (laughs) listeners. But, oh, my God. Okay, so. I just mostly think this is us yelling into the
0: void. <laughs> no, it is. That's what makes it's it so great. easy yeah. to record.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: no shame. <laughs> <laughs> no one will hear this anyway. It's just us talking. That's how we ended up recording an hour discussion. The yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: exactly.
0: No, but what I was trying to say was that I think I just, that's what I enjoy about writing is exploring this, like, the idea of tension. mm um, and tension can come from so many different I mean mm-hmm. in The Wolf Star I write it completely differently yeah um, and this Definitely. this fic I wrote it differently in different ways mm. um, and actually ironically I think the chapter where I solve my own tension or like try mm-hmm. and reconcile everything is the mm-hmm. dragon chapter that's hilarious
1: which you create tension in a very weird way <laughs> but then I resolve it sorry the dogs are scared of the exercise ball <laughs>
0: You like know what you, is this? You know when you were talking about yeah. her being under the table Like I watched her she went to go look at you And she smacked her face in the metal <laughs> bar
1: <laughs> I love her so much She's so she fucking She's so weird. precious She's woolly me <laughs> She is Just like a little, a little package Yeah a little no harb- wings. of death with yeah. no wings God I love it
0: Oh mine's rolling Yeah No he's he's um, my yeah, Thestral there too There we
1: go <laughs> We should send a uh, share a photo of oh, them Oh we should It'd be very cute Our little Thestral children Yeah Um so, yeah. And I think we, we both, like, I, I, I write tension, but, like, in a very, very specific, narrow way, and it's mm. almost entirely internal.
0: Oh, entirely. Yeah. Like, all the tension I write is, like, externalized in yeah, any yeah, possible yeah. Way. Like,
1: pulling all of the strings of the plot into one thing.
0: Or they're, they're about, yeah, or they're about external forces, mm-hmm. and just, like, how a person interacts with those inter- external forces. Yeah. And I do that repeatedly throughout this series. Yeah. And I think part of it is because I, obviously you want both characters' uh, understanding of the mm. moment. So you want both perspectives. And the way that we wrote was like mm. me first and then you. Yeah. The way you split a moment is you split it in the middle of the tension. Yeah. Because then you get both understandings of what's mm-hmm. going on. So like, th- there's a logical reason yeah, why yeah. I do there's it.
1: There's a method to your madness. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's I also just mad. I just also do it. Yeah, like that time I tried you to. You were write. like
1: true chaotic neutral.
0: Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Stop who. labeling me for everyone out there. All three <laughs> people, <laughs> whatever people listening. It's fine. Oh my God. It's better than chaotic evil, I guess.
1: Yeah, you dance a fine line.
0: <laughs> you like it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 90 I'm, not, I'm not, Whatever percent masochist. That's why this fucking works, okay? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I'm not stopping you. <laughs>
0: I know. I'm um, in the
1: background like, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. attention. <laughs> 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 what else can we do to fuck this up? <laughs>
1: oh, God. What does that say about us?
0: Probably something along the lines of masochism and sadism. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to
1: think too hard about that. Fine, <laughs> so we don't have to.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. okay and then i think that's it yeah i think that's it that's all of it on to the next one you're gonna read yours now yeah oh after you edit this bullshit because (sighs) i took forever to read that yeah i don't know what's wrong with me today i don't know good luck Thanks. (laughs) I'm so glad you're the one editing everything.
1: (laughs) I love tedium. Yeah. This is my jam. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'll just work on tension over here and you can do tedium. Yeah,
1: excellent. (laughs) Together we make one functional
0: Functional adult. adult. (laughs) Yeah, great. Beautiful. Okay, Okay. thanks thanks for listening, everybody. everybody. was beautifully disastrous. His posh... (laughs) I hate you so much. (laughs) Can you not? (laughs) I'm never going to be able to read that word again. (sighs) You're ruining the English language for me like one step at a time. One small step.
1: Posh is like a critical vocabulary.
0: Critical. Draco Malfoy is Posh. Posh. Poshiest posh, full of possums. That's like me and Saint (laughs) (laughs) Mumbo. That's like such an important word. Mm. Saint (laughs) Mumbles. Saint Mumbo Jumbo. Saint
1: (laughs) Mumbleita. Saint Jambalaya. Saint Jambalaya. I forgot about that one.
0: I have said it once, so oh, maybe I should just use what's in this clip. What? I said it earlier. Did you? Yeah, I was going to reread the whole thing. Yeah,
1: but I'd have to break the clip up to get rid of everything in the
0: middle. Yeah, I was going to stop this now. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm not reading that word again.